Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Heavenly Father, we ask that that would be, oh, so true to us, that out of this very group this morning, there would be testimonies that just just emerge when we look back upon these days, even us as a church, when we look back upon these strange days in, in our life, the way we try to gather together, and the way you've enabled us to do that, the way that we try to picture those who are at home and those who are at home try to imagine themselves right here with us where they can see a number of us right here. As far there, as long as we can, we will be here. But these are strange days, Father. And yet I believe with all my heart there's coming a day we'll look back upon these days as being amazing. That you did work in our hearts. You did work in our church. You did work in the church of Jesus Christ throughout the country and throughout the world. And we will say there was more going on than we knew. And so, Father, in that, in that confession, strengthen us. Ready us to receive your word this morning, the particular word that might encourage us in the days and weeks ahead. For we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we launched a brand new series of messages, a Christmas series of sermons that, that I entitled The Promise of the Ages. You see it before you there today. The Promise of the Ages, an eight-week series. Take us right up into and through the, the Christmas Sunday. Now, who did we say the promise of the ages is? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the promise of the ages. And in fact, we declared two weeks ago that Jesus Christ has come in fulfillment, among other things, in fulfillment of eight specific promises that God the Father made. God the Father promised these things throughout the course of human history. And when Jesus Christ came, he came in fulfillment of those promises. He's the promise of all the ages. All the men and women of faith who have looked to God to be their provision. And we've been looking through these now. So far, we've identified two of the eight promises God has made. First one we saw, God the Father promised Adam and Eve that a devil destroyer would come. One who would absolutely crush Satan's head underfoot and be done with him. And we saw Jesus is that one. Jesus destroyed many works of the devil during his earthly ministry, and Jesus will ultimately cast the devil into the lake of fire. We see that in the book of Revelation, and he'll be done. He will be destroyed. Promise kept. 
God the Father. Secondly, we saw promised Abraham that a perfect sacrifice would come. Abraham said to his son, as they were getting ready to offer a sacrifice, and the only one available for that sacrifice was actually Isaac himself. Abraham uttered the promise that God had whispered in his heart, and he said, God himself will provide the lamb. And we saw last week that not only a lamb, but God himself would provide the perfect sacrifice. Jesus was that one. Jesus was declared to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist declared that during the days that Jesus walked upon the earth. And Jesus allowed himself to be sacrificed on Calvary as a substitute for sinners. He is forever honored and worshipped in heaven for the sacrifice he made. Promise two, kept, fulfilled in Christ. Today I draw your attention to the third of these awesome promises that God has made to his people and to mankind in general. Today's promise was given to and expressed by Moses. It's expressed in Deuteronomy 18.18, and we have this little box demonstrating a, a great gift from God, the fulfillment of this promise. Promise three God says, I will raise up for them a prophet. He will be a spokesman for God. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses. He will be a spokesman for God. Now, I wanted to share with you the more extended text in which that promise is found. It's found in one of the farewell addresses that Moses gave to the Hebrew nation just before their entrance into the promised land under Joshua's leadership. Moses would not be allowed to enter into the promised land, but as he said these words, his eyes gaze far down the centuries. And here's what he said, recorded in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18. We find this statement. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Moses talking about himself. A prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him in the same way that they were supposed to listen to Moses. Now, here in that same passage is Moses' actual testimony as he tells the people how this came about. He says, the Lord said to me. Now, this is the Lord talking to Moses and Moses sharing his testimony of it. The Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. This man, this woman perhaps, will be a spokesman for God. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Those were very close to the last words that Moses ever spoke to the people of Israel. But sometime after Moses' death, the Holy Spirit authorized and inspired 
someone, we don't know who, someone to write this concluding observation to the book of Deuteronomy. Moses wrote everything in the book of Deuteronomy, but the last three verses, that the Spirit had somebody else tag on to the end after obviously some years had gone by. Here's what it says. Since then, that means since Moses died, Since Moses died, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now here's the point. Whoever added those words was making it, and anybody anywhere along the line since that moment could say the same thing and make the same point. And here's the point. No prophet, no prophet since the days of Moses ever rose to Moses' standard. Moses, who knew the Lord face to face, and who demonstrated a kind of power that brought the plagues upon the land of Egypt and that opened the Red Sea for their crossing. Not Samuel, not Nathan, not Elijah, not Jeremiah, not Isaiah, not Ezekiel, not Daniel, not John the Baptist, not any whom the Lord sent to share his word and do his work arose to the level that Moses was on. And yet God promised, I will send you a prophet like Moses, like him. That promise remained unfulfilled for more than a thousand years. And then the promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our promise of the ages. So along with Jesus being the promised devil destroyer and the promised perfect sacrifice, Jesus was the promised spokesman for God, spoken of by Moses. This morning I want us to just walk through a bit of scripture together and see Jesus in this promised prophetic role. Share five observations with you as we organize the scripture under them. First observation is this. Jesus knew that he was the promised spokesman. He was the one of whom Moses had spoke. Here we hear Jesus saying in John chapter 5, verse 46, it's recorded. Jesus said to the people, if you really believed Moses. Now, the people in Jesus' day claim Moses as their, their ultimate They would say they believed every single word Moses wrote, and he wrote the books of Genesis, Exodus, Vigas, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They believed Moses. Moses gave the law. They believed Moses, and they were proud of that. Now, Jesus says to them, if you believe Moses, and I would kind of add that little extra there, if you really believe Moses, the way you say you do, you would believe me. 
For he, that is Moses, wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? See, that's Jesus saying, you know, the one that Moses promised, there will arise a prophet like me that you must listen to. Jesus says he was writing about me. And here I am. You see, now, John the Baptist was the one who announced that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist identified Jesus as that perfect sacrifice long awaited. But Jesus himself announced that he was the fulfillment of Moses' life-closing prophecy. He, Jesus, was God's promised prophet, God's spokesman on earth. Jesus knew it, but he also knew that the leaders of the Jews would deny his claim and thus ignore his words. And he knew as well that they would do far more than merely deny what he taught and denounce what he did. Because secondly, Jesus knew that the prospects for a prophet were grim. The prospects for a prophet, any prophet sent from God, but surely the prophet standing in Moses' stead, his prospects were grim. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 13, 57 He says, a prophet is not without honor. It's like usually people honor a prophet. He's not without honor. He at least has that title. A prophet is not without honor except, except in his own town and in his own home. Maybe some of you have been in that situation sometime. You, you go out into the world, you get a degree, you learn a skill, you do this or that. You're the smartest one you know with regard to that thing. And then you come home and they treat you like an idiot. Like you're the same idiot you always were. Everybody else is singing your praises. Everybody else is saying, hey, can you help me with this thing? You're really good at this. But you go home and mom and dad and your older brothers and sisters who remember you when you were this big... They wouldn't accept your help or take your word. As far as they're concerned, you're still three years old. You're honored all over the place except in your own town, in your own home. That's how it went for Jesus. He sought to bring his message and miracles to his hometown of Nazareth. And rather than rejoice in him and be delighted by the the miracles of healing he did do there. The people thought they knew him. And the people who did think they knew him and had watched him grow up, the Bible says they took offense at him. Who does he think he is? Isn't he Mary's boy? Isn't he the carpenter's son? Haven't we watched him grow up 
and now he's strutting back into town and preaching the word of God and healing people. And who does he think he is? Does he think he's better than us? And the Bible says their lack of faith. That was a kind way to put it. Their lack of faith. How about their disgust? How about their, their ignorance? How about their mean-spiritedness? But the Bible says their lack of faith limited his ability to minister to them. You just can't help people who don't believe you're able to help them. Now, he pointed that out to his friends and family. He pointed out that they were treating him in a most predictable way. He said, this happens to all prophets. They might be honored everywhere, but they're not honored in their own hometown and among their own family. Jesus could have said, it doesn't surprise me, but I can guarantee you it hurt him. Just like it would hurt you or perhaps does. Later on, looking a little broader than just his own hometown, looking at the whole nation and gazing upon the capital city, that glorious city, in Matthew 23, 37, we find Jesus saying this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets... And so there you, we get the understanding that once prophets start prophesying, once they start pointing out sin, once they start acting on God's behalf to maybe bring some judgment where judgment is needed, they're no longer honored. They're troublemakers. They need to be done away with. And Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets... Read through Hebrews 11 sometime, that list of faith. And you get halfway through it, it stops naming them by names, and it says there, there were many, many of whom this world was not worthy. And it, and it talks about how the prophets were stoned, sawn asunder, killed in a variety of ways. Jesus says, we know the history of our nation and this own city right here has been at the hub of it. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. Jesus said this near the very end of his earthly ministry. Jesus pointed out the pattern that characterized those who lived in the very heart of the nation, the home of the temple, and the place where the most solemn ceremonies were conducted. Oddly, we could say the spiritual leaders of the land had never been receptive to new words from God. Frequently, the most drastic action would be taken against anyone who would dare to bring such new words. Jesus knew that he was bringing the newest words of all, and he knew what destiny awaited him as the promised prophet as God's spokesman on earth. You see, the prospects for a prophet indeed were grim, and Jesus knew that. Third thing, though, Jesus also knew that his father would open some people's eyes. 
some people's eyes would be open. There certainly was joy and delight and anticipation in that realization. Jesus would say, but I will continue on. Three years he ministered, knowing the Holy Spirit at the Father's direction would would give enlightenment here and here and here, and people would receive his words as being right from God, and their lives would be changed and blessed. I thought I'd share just a few key moments when Jesus saw that happen. How about early on? It's recorded in John chapter 4. God opened the eyes of the woman at the well. Remember her? Remember her? He engaged her in conversation that turned into a salvation. But in the midst of that conversation, after he said a few things, she says, Sir, the woman replied, I can see that you are a prophet. You're the real deal. I can see that you are a prophet. And by saying that, she was, she was acknowledging that prophet is a very, very high calling from God. And if I'm standing in the presence of a prophet, this is not just some ordinary man sharing his opinions about things. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Here's what Jesus heard after he fed the 5,000, recorded in John 6, verse 14. It says, after the people saw the miraculous sign, well, that was the turning the few fish and loaves into enough to feed 5,000. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely, surely, if we weren't sure before, we are now, surely this is the prophet. See, now they take it up a little bit. They're familiar with the promise. They're familiar with Moses, the great prophet. Moses, the lawgiver. Moses, the one that they believed in and followed everything that he had written down. This was the one that Moses had talked about. Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. These were Jewish people with a little more biblical knowledge than the woman at the well. And then as he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it's recorded, Matthew 21, 11, the people said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. They didn't say, Jesus, this is Jesus, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. On that day, their thoughts went back to the promised one. They didn't just say, he was, will be the king of the Jews, but they zeroed in on him as being the prophet. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And then in Luke chapter 7, we read, after Jesus raised a a poor widow's son from death. He was actually heading toward the cemetery. It was a funeral procession. And here was this woman. She's a widow, so her husband had already passed. This was her only son who might be able to care for her in her older years. And he now had passed. And Jesus compassionately walks over and brings that young man back to life, restores him to his mother. And the crowd is watching this. And it says, naturally, they were filled with awe. And they praise God. They knew they were in the middle of a moment. 
that God by his grace had intervened in the, into the normal flow of life and brought a miracle. They were filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet, they said, has appeared among us. A great prophet. I don't know if, you're, if in your mind you would have thought that Jesus was so often referred to by that term. A prophet. A prophet. The prophet. A great prophet. And they would say, God has come to help his people. God has come to help his people. I believe the best of all affirmation for Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Luke chapter 9, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up onto a, a hill, high hill, and there a cloud surrounded them, and it says, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Sounds back to what Moses said. God said, I will raise up a prophet like unto you. Moses says to the people, God will raise up a prophet like me. You must listen to him. He will be speaking the very words of God. Words that cannot be ignored. Words that must be obeyed. And so the Father says to these three disciples, standing there in the presence of a glorified Savior, this is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And you and I know, the three of them did. Peter, James, and John, they listened to the Lord Jesus. John listened so well that he was able to write out the entire gospel of John, telling us everything Jesus said and did. Peter would help uh, young Mark write the gospel of Mark. Listen to him. They surely did. The rest of the disciples did. And untold thousands of others in Jesus' day did, who got to hear the words coming right from his mouth. We listen to him as his words come through the scripture to us. One of my favorite passages, statements, in the entire scripture is found in Mark chapter 12, verse 37, when it says, and the common people. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you are just common people? You know, just, I mean, we, we don't have any, uh, you know, super high class in here. Nobody that the president's going to call and say, I need to chat with you for a little bit. You have some insights I need. Probably not. We're just common people. Common people, though, ordinary people, they heard Jesus gladly. They would walk miles to hear him. They loved to hear him. You and I have to hear him indirectly as we read his words through the scripture. But we read a line and then a line and then a line. The people who were actually there, they got to hear everything he said in between this line and this line. And this line. And they got to see the expression on his face. And they got to see the way he interacted with the old and the young and the sick and the poor and, and all of them. And, and it just gladdened their hearts. The 
common people. He knows us. He loves us. He has a word for us. And they heard him gladly. And it had to thrill Jesus. Every time he saw somebody looking up at him with that expectant face, he could just wipe out the, the face of the leaders of the Jews there in Jerusalem who, who just despised him and replace it with one of these who just, just adored him and said, he is the prophet. He is speaking the words of God. We want to hear the words of God. It was a shared delight in those spiritual awakenings. John and the other apostles, they got as thrilled as Jesus did to see the people listening. And it caused John to, to write these words years later. He said, but to those who did receive him. Oh, and when John wrote that, his mind could go back and he could see them by the thousands. Receiving him. Embracing him. Believing everything he said receiving him, loving him, wanting to just follow with him. And so John, with all that experience, and remembering the joy of seeing the Lord Jesus' words just fall on eager ears and, and realize what a blessing that was, John writes, but for those who did receive him and his teachings, I would add, to those who believed in his name and in his calling as prophet of God, he gave the right to become children of God. I believe to their dying day, every one of those that fit that category would testify to their children. They would testify that a great prophet, in fact, the promised prophet, walked among us and we beheld the wonder of his workings, and we took to heart the truth of his teachings. And though you can't see him the way we did, I want to tell you about him in such a way that he almost takes flesh in front of you. And you're able to sense his goodness, his grace, his love, his mercy, his power in the same way that we were overwhelmed by that. Being right there with him. And then, of course, and then, of course, knowing the fuller story at that point, these would say to their children, they would add, and he was the very Son of God, sent to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. I'll tell you, indeed, the Father, by the agency of the Holy Spirit, opened many eyes to his Son's identity and calling, just like Jesus knew he would. Here's the fourth observation. We just move along here this morning regarding our promise of the day. Jesus' followers testified concerning his identity. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, even after Jesus ascended to heaven, even after Jesus was exalted to the highest place and sent the Holy Spirit to minister on his behalf in this world, Jesus' followers still were impressed by the fact that that he was the prophet. 
He was the Savior, but he was also the promised prophet. And as soon as those words came out of their mouth, it was like, and that's a big deal. And that's a big deal. Here we have this encounter. It actually took place on Easter afternoon. Jesus had been raised from the dead, but not yet ascended to heaven. And he's walking down the road, the Bible says, to Emmaus. And there's two disciples who had been in Jerusalem during all those activities. The last days of Jesus' life, probably heard his teaching that last week of his life. And they are walking home, and they're dejected. And Jesus says, why are you downcast? Beautiful day. Why are you so downcast? They didn't recognize him. And they said, well, don't you know what's happened? Don't you know what's gone on, the things that have happened these last days? And Jesus says, and this is where our verse picks up, Luke 24, 19, what things? Fill me in. I'd like to hear it from your point of view. What things? He, Jesus, asked. And they said, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. See? He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. See, you got to notice, they did not yet have the understanding that Jesus was also the perfect sacrifice. They saw his death on the cross as a big mistake. They saw his death on the cross as a horrible tragedy. And he had said something about he's probably going to die and he would come back from the dead, but they said it's been three days now, so I don't think that's going to happen. But we do know this. He was a powerful prophet. We saw the hand of God in his life and ministry. See, Jesus, as you recall, after they gave that testimony and said, this is how we view him. This is what we confess about him. This is what, until our dying day, we will be impressed with him. It says Jesus then, he took them through the whole, what we call the Old Testament. They're just walking along. He says, hey, let me, let me just share some things with you. And it says, starting with Who? With Moses, he explained to them, meaning he went through all the key points of the books of Moses, and the key point we're talking about, are you kidding me? They already identified him as the prophet. He would have pointed out to them, Moses predicted that. Moment, Moses promised that. Another prophet who truly knows God would arise among the people, and the people were to listen to him, and he walked them through the whole Old Testament, not demonstrating that he was the prophet. They already believed that. But demonstrating that the prophet would also be the sacrifice and he had to suffer and die to take upon himself the sins of mankind, the sins of the nation. And so he did that. Pointed out to them he was both the promised prophet and he was the perfect sacrifice. You'd have to say that was quite an afternoon. Those two fellows for the rest of their lives probably started every conversation with, you know that, that, that Sunday afternoon walk we took? 
has changed everything about us. And people would come up to them. I'm sure again and again and again and again, probably come from other towns to say, you're one of the two, right? That, that they wrote about. How did Jesus put it again? Tell us how he lined it up, how he explained it. Because nobody could be so convincing as he. They testified to Jesus himself before they knew the rest of the story that he was the prophet. They knew that. And then we see the apostle Peter, who knew the rest of the story. He testified before the worshipers at the temple. This is after Jesus had ascended to heaven. This is after the Holy Spirit was given. Peter and John are going to the temple. They find a crippled up man in great need. And Peter testifies that he has nothing to give except the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he lifts him up and heals him. And then Peter and John have to, are called in and they have to talk to the Jewish leaders who don't buy this story at all. And Peter testifies to them. These PhDs in the scripture, this old fisherman takes them back to the book of Genesis and reminds them of what Moses had said. And here it is, Acts 3.22, just jumping into that discussion. Peter says, for Moses said... The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Here's the other side of the cross. The church has already had marvelous birth on the day of Pentecost, and Peter is still saying, Jesus' connection, Jesus' identification with that prophet is significant. You must listen to him. He is speaking the words of God. Jesus was that promised one. And then we also see the martyr Stephen. Just a little bit later, Stephen, who was one of the early leaders of the church, made a deacon to help out in ministry within the church. He was then called in before the Jewish Sanhedrin, who would ultimately stone him to death. So these are some of the last words Stephen spoke on earth. Acts 7, 37, and then 52. Stephen says, this is the Moses. See, he was saying, you, you talk about Moses. You talk about Moses. You know how Moses was used of God. Well, he said, this Moses that you talk about, this is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. And then Stephen says to them, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. Peter didn't go that far in, in his, he was just announcing Jesus. But Stephen just points the finger. Basically says, woe to you. What Moses promised, God has provided in Jesus Christ he is the prophet, the spokesman for God on earth, and you all betrayed him, accused him of blasphemy even, and you murdered him. You are guilty before God. Well, rather than falling on their faces in repentance, 
they took him out, picked up stones, and murdered him. They considered him of no more value than they considered Jesus. You see, Jesus' disciples testified clearly and compellingly that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise, and they linked him back to that promise again and again, and I think there's power in it for us if we remember that link ourselves. He was the one promised to bring the words of God newly and freshly into this world, and we need to listen to the very words that he brought. And so here's the final observation of the morning. Jesus left a prophetic legacy. He left a treasure of teachings behind him. The four Gospels, particularly the Sermon on the Mount that is found best in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. These are the teachings of Jesus Christ. Read them. Read them, especially the passages in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says numerous times, you have heard it said, but I say to you, brand new stuff. Chief priests, elders, leaders of the Jews standing around hearing him say something like that. Here's what the Bible says, and now here's what I say. Boy, if they didn't believe he was connected to the God of the Bible, if they didn't believe that he was speaking on behalf of the God of the Bible, well, that was heresy, right? Here's what the Bible says. Now, here's what I say. They had to make a distinction. They had to make a choice. Is he actually God speaking on behalf of God? Or is he to be shied away from we know the answer to that. He's speaking on behalf of God. So let's read his words and let's take them to heart. Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is a great place to start. I preached a series on that, oh, some years ago. It's at our church website. It's just called Kingdom Living. You can even watch the messages. If you want, I have them all collected in a PDF booklet that I could email to you, and you could read it on your ever-present mobile device and just take it with you. The Kingdom Living series. Incredible collection of the teachings of Jesus Christ that we need to know. The Holy Spirit then will unlock his legacy when we read it, and he will cause the teachings of Christ to take root in us. And so there I recommend to you, follow those teachings. If you don't have anything else to help you that's better, follow those teachings in our nudges and hugs. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us every single day regarding the teachings of Jesus and reminding us of the very person that Jesus would desire us to be. So do those things. Because the Holy Spirit's very good at what he does. Jesus, in fact, said in John 14, 26, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Well, Jesus only said those things to us through the medium of the ones that he directly said them to. 
and they are recorded in the scripture. We need to read them. We need to know them. We need to be filled with, with the very words of the prophet, the promised one who spoke for God every day of his life. And so consider with me today's final thought. It just says this. Our promise of the ages, he did what the prophet would do. He spoke forth and he lived out the very purposes of the Father. And by his spirit, we can do the same. You and I can be those who walk around on this earth in our flesh, in our real life, in our circumstances, and we can function in the place, carrying on the ministry of the Lord Jesus himself. We can speak out the words of God, the very words that Jesus spoke, and we can live out the very kind of life that he directed. Oh, may we do so this Christmas season and every Christmas season and just remind ourselves, we stand in the stead of the promised prophet. And we can tell everyone that the words he spoke are absolutely the words of life. Heavenly Father, we bow before you now and we know we're stacking up things. Three things already we see were wonderfully fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He, he was the promise of the ages and oh my goodness, he, he came in fulfillment of everything you said. Father, today we see him as your spokesman. He usurped the place of anybody else who would speak for you while he was on the earth. He was the prophet, the one to declare the word of God. Everybody else, simply now we repeat what he said and your Holy Spirit helps us understand what he meant. But, oh, Father, may the words of Jesus Christ fill our hearts and minds. May the words of Jesus Christ hit the hearts and minds of those around us. Not our words, not our figuring, not our arguments, but simply the words of Jesus Christ. The words of the Son of God himself. And may we have the joy of seeing people receive them. Ordinary people. People like us receive them as hopeful and true. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.